Hey y'all, happy new year and welcome back to The Real Ethics, where we talk all things real related to ethics and reference to professional practices and pop culture. I'm your host, Ronnie Books. In this episode, we are discussing the constant social challenges we are seeing specifically in the U.S. with adhering to public health recommended practices for COVID-19. Myself, having family members who work in the medical field and public health, and being very rule-governed, I'm more accustomed to buy and buy these type of policies. However, this is more challenging for most individuals, especially when you're getting so much misinformation or you see those in the public eye, including the president, stating that these policies and practices are not beneficial. In addition, history has shown that abuse of institutional power by the government and medical sciences which have manipulated public health information and engaged in so many unethical practices in the past, creating distrust in health policies and public health research. We saw this in the Tuskegee study from 1932 until 1972, which was a blatant violation of biomedical principles due no harm, respect for autonomy, and justice of treatment by not treating the syphilis of Black American subjects and failure to obtain consent. And other studies like the sexually transmitted diseases and inoculation research in Guatemala from 1946 to 48, which had similar effects on marginalized minority communities. This does not even include the many social inequalities and disparities we see in medicine when it comes to treating Black, Brown, and Indigenous and Asian communities. In specific geographic locations where people suffer from poverty and political exclusion and the ongoing unethical policies and practices which have dramatically affected health systems worldwide and in the United States. Shaping public distress and turning, creating suspicion in public health research and policies. This is the ethical dilemma we will be reeling out this episode. To hear or not to hear to the face mask mandate. Pulling up to his crib, swallowing his droplet. Hey, you wanna see the bottom of my face? 
a shank. Bitch, I bet money that that hairline crooked. Cut the beard off and show me how that job look. Okay, y'all took this away, I ain't mean. Nancy gonna say we shouldn't get vaccines. Huh? Oh, you probably think we also can't vote. No, I mean, yes, your body is your choice, your mind or your thoughts, your booty is your voice. Boy, stop. Y'all want a hot girl or not? Snail skit, bottom of your face, brings a comedic light of this dilemma. However, the severity of this virus warrants significant concern regarding public health-related practices of our communities. With record cases surpassing 20 million and 350 deaths alone in the United States, it is safe to say that this pandemic is real and is affecting the most vulnerable populations. So continue listening as we explore and discuss the dilemma of not being able to see New Year's dating bottom lip because they're rocking that mask game so hard, and how this new social accepted fashion has created so many ethical discussions regarding people's rights, policing and shaming of others, and the increase of skeptics in this time of uncertainty of one's health and safety. In this episode, cover your face and the rise of skeptics, and let's reel it out. We are all familiar with the term skepticism. It is basically the idea that we should not consider anything as truth till it has been proven over and over again. In more technical terms, it is the view that we ought to be either suspicious of claims to epistemological truth or at least withhold judgment from affirming absolute claims to knowledge. However, skepticism along with mis- misinformation and distrust can create so much chaos during a time of pandemic. We've seen this in 2020 with people taking upon themselves to shame or police others regarding face mask mandates. This may be as a concerned citizen who are doing their best to abide by public health recommendations, or those individuals who believe their rights are being violated by being asked to cover their face. Hi everyone, I work for Costco and I'm asking this member to put on a mask because that is our company policy. So either wear the mask And I'm not doing it because I woke up in a free country. Have a great day. So you're going to take this car from me. Sir, have a great Pull day. Pull stuff. You are no longer welcome here in our warehouse. You need to leave. Thank you very here, much. you put it on. I'll give you my card. He's going to take the card away because he's a There he is, walking away with all my stuff. There he goes. Because I'm not a These skeptic views are often not backed by factual or logical reasoning or attitudes of science, but the dismissiveness of wearing masks the undermining of the public health policies by our elected leaders, as well as the fear of one's health or individual rights, which are battling one another. If we look at the attitudes of science and philosophical doubt, which is the continuous questioning of the truthfulness and validity of all scientific theory and knowledge, we can see how certain groups of individuals are resistive to public health recommendations and mandates. However, people's different points of view of the pandemic have only fueled fire to misinformation. Philosophical doubt involves the use of scientific evidence before implementing a new practice, then constantly monitoring the effectiveness of the practice after after its implementation. The good thing is that wearing face masks has been proven effective in slowing down spread of infectious diseases and viruses, which has been cited through history in an array of studies and pandemics like the Great Manchurian Plague of 1910 and the Influenza of 1918 and SARS of 2002. I mean, even some of our favorite characters wear face masks. Boom! Somebody stop me! Uh Uh-oh.
While there are heaps of studies supporting the effectiveness of masks and the practice of wearing masks and preventing the spread of diseases, there are also studies that dispute these, these findings and that look at physical properties such as cloth masks versus surgical masks, the reuse of these items, the frequency and effectiveness of cleaning them, and increased moisture retention, as well as whether or not any of these elements have an effect on infectious risk. Well, with all of us wearing different masks and some states issuing mandates, it is only leads to more doubt and disdain of these policies by the public. It goes to question how everyone feels about this issue in regard to what is socially right or wrong and our concerns for the well-being of others, which is based on our own ethical judgments. We are at a point where people believe their rights are being violated and questioning mandates and the science behind it. But there is a hero in this. What are you? I'm Batman. And no, it is not Batman. It is public health and public response. The purpose of public health is to protect and improve the health of people and their communities, which is achieved by promoting healthy lifestyles, researching diseases and detecting, and preventing and responding to infectious diseases. However, it's hard to do this if support is not provided for these agencies to be successful, and most importantly, when there is an ongoing cycle of distrust in health policy and behavior. It is important we dive into the issue of trust as a core ethical principle when discussing public faith and the practices of public health and medical research, especially within marginalized minority communities who suffer from poverty and political exclusion, which affects how information is presented and access to medical treatment and PPE. To further discuss this, I spoke with public health representative Stephanie Moody Geisler, Stephanie has a master's in public health from Columbia University in epidemiology and global health. For the past decade, she has been working for infectious disease surveillance, prevention, and control from mosquito-borne diseases in Florida to Ebola in West Africa. She currently works at an infection prevention unit at local hospitals. She has a podcast called The Pump Handle, where she discusses epidemiology and public health issues. I took upon myself to pose many questions on how information gets presented to one's community during a pandemic. And this is how our discussion went. Public health has just always been a a fascination, even before I knew what public health actually was as a kid. I remember watching National Geographic specials on uh, Ebola outbreaks in the early 90s and thinking, you know, I want to do that. That's something I want to do. And then, you know, being in school, going through college, finding out, oh, it's not doctors necessarily that do this or not just MDs. It's, it's a whole field onto itself, public health. I can get a master's in this. And uh, once I found out that was possible, I, I was hooked. It's like the idea of doing health for the forest instead of the individual tree, making the biggest impact on health is just something that is so important to me and, and, and really drives me. That's awesome. That's awesome. So I'm sure you have a lot to say, you know, working within public health during this time of the pandemic. So, you know, I want to pose a few questions, you know, for you to provide your experience. What is the importance of and the ethical duty of public health to one's community? Well, I mean, it's right there in the title, public health, public. It's not just about you. 
Uh, it's about caring for your community. It's about being part of society. It's fulfilling the social contract that you have with your neighbor, uh, the kid down the street, the person, the checkout or the, the checker at the grocery store. It's, it's on all of us to take care of each other, especially when it involves communicable infectious diseases. Um, you have individuals talking about, you know, well, it's my individual freedom and this and that. Sure, you have freedom to a certain extent, but there is the social contract. Uh, I mean, you can look at something like smoking. You can smoke all you want. Go for it. We know it's bad for your health. We know it's bad for other people's health. You can smoke all you want in your own home, but you can't smoke in a restaurant. You can't smoke on a plane. You can't smoke in a public enclosed area because you're, what you are doing as an individual impacts others. So when something stops only impacting you and impacts the community at large, that's when it becomes public. That's when it becomes beyond you, beyond your individual freedoms. And I think that that's something that not a lot of in people know right now, or at least they might know it, but they don't really take it all in. It, they, it's not part of their own ethos. Yeah. And, and it needs to be. We need to be better. We need to be better for ourselves and for our community, for our society. In general, shaming and cancel culture, it's been shown not to work in public health. It is something that we've seen over and over and over again. Um, and instead of changing behavior, sometimes it enforces behavior or encourages people to hide behavior. Um, so it, it's important, I think, more than shaming to educate. Continue to educate. Just continue to have the, tr the facts out there not telling people, well, you're a horrible person, so I'm going to post your picture on Instagram or whatever and yeah. say that you're not a masker. Well, maybe you can talk to that person. Some people you can't get through completely. There are people that are stuck in their ways, but I think we do need to, to, to chip away at that as much as possible. And that might mean not just you talking to them, but trying to get other people in you know, their inner circle, their community, people they look up to, to also have the facts out there, stop the misinformation and have the, the science speak for itself. Yeah, it's interesting too. I like how you said that too, because when I see council culture, I see, you know, there's so many clips and like the clips we played within this episode of, you know, just the shaming of people who are wearing masks getting shamed and the people who aren't getting wearing masks getting shamed. The bullying and the sh of shaming, it's like to the extreme. Like that's not how we communicate with each other. Like there's mm -hmm. got to be an approach where we're educating each other and learning about people's behavior, you know, their patterns. And there's a reason why people are engaging in certain behaviors or why they have this belief that masks aren't, you know, effective because it's being presented by the people up top. So... I really think that we need to focus on um, risk reduction or harm reduction. Yes. It works wonders in a lot of other areas of public health, such as drug use, um, HIV, a lot of other areas. Focusing on harm reduction and risk reduction, I think, is, is the way to go. It's like, okay, you don't want to wear a mask. You know, that's fine. Well, 
actually, I shouldn't say that. It's not fine. (laughs) Science says it's not. However, if someone truly is against wearing a mask, it's like, okay, well, let's find out other ways that we can have harm and risk reduction in your life. I'm sure that you and some of your listeners have seen the, the Swiss cheese model for public health. No, uh, I'm sh- you need to explain that. A lot of people okay. don't know what the Swiss uh, cheese model is. Yeah. So there's this idea of Swiss cheese. So you, you, you know, Swiss cheese, it has holes in it. Well, there's almost never a hole that goes from one side all the way to the other. So you keep putting up all of these uh, protections. So wearing a mask is one protection. Staying six feet plus back is another protection. You just keep putting these protections up and the more you follow, the less likely that something's going to get all the way through. So one of them might fail. We know that, you know, vaccines aren't 100%. Masks aren't 100%. Nothing's 100% like that. But the more you have up, the better it is to prevent uh, transmission. So if we can work on building a, a, a better Swiss cheese model for everybody, then you know, that might, that might work. How does ethics play a role in the delivery of health related messages to Pacific communities? Cause that is a big concern. There's a lot of distrust across mm-hmm. geographical locations due to poverty, due to access. So how does ethics play a role in the delivery of this information within Pacific communities? So first off, I think that with, with this pandemic, there has been a crisis in communication from the top down, we need consistent scientifically based messaging. And I think that's one of the big problems that we've been having clearly from federal um, entities, from uh, our state, depending upon what state you're in, and from our local um, uh, governing bodies, individuals that we elected into office that we're supposed to trust to take care of us, to take care of our society. Um, but when it comes to specific communities, I think it's really important for individuals within that community to uh, step up, especially if they are already in a leadership role. Uh, one of the things that I, I love seeing, because I do it myself, um, all of these pictures I see on social media of people getting their vaccine, their COVID vaccine. I post a picture every year when I get my flu vaccine. And I've seen so many people from all different walks of life getting their COVID vaccine and posting it. There was this one that I remember, I think his name was um, Dr. Yancey, uh, African-American pediatrician. And he was holding up a sign that said, rebuilding the trust that Tuskegee destroyed. Yeah. And I think that was a super powerful message. Yeah. Um, there is, um, a lot of mistrust of the medical community, earned mistrust, uh, uh, from the medical community, from, uh, black African Americans. And I think that having individuals within the community that are physicians, that are leaders, um, do things like that is, is very powerful. You know, being a white person, uh, I, I can't begin to imagine uh, how it f- how it feels generationally uh, for indigenous people, uh, Hispanic individuals, any minority group uh, to have that kind of distrust in in a profession, a profession that I feel 
you know, being a part of it, I feel like I'm trying to help people, but there's just been so many historical events that have shown that, no, we're not completely trustworthy and we need to earn that trust back. Yeah. It's, and it's sad too, because, you know, the beginning of this episode, I talk about the Tzatziki experiments and also mm -hmm. a few other experiences that's happened within like marginalized communities, predominantly minority communities. And that is a huge ethic, you know, issues within ethics with regard to how information is released to certain populations. Mm -hmm. um, it's usually, you know, it's from the top down kind of approach and it's an approach that we're continuing to do. You know, why are certain people in politics getting vaccines before physicians and essential workers? Like the people on the ground who are working in the restaurants, the people who are, who mm -hmm. are working in the grocery stores, they should, be, they should be the first people getting vaccinated along with our physicians and nurses and social workers and everyone else who's considered essential worker. Um, Especially because minimum wage workers were seeing that the uh, pandemics disproportionately affecting minimum wage workers, a lot of whom are minority groups. We're seeing African Americans hit super hard by COVID yeah. because of systemic racism, because of all the things that you just talked about. And yeah, it's... I, I'm not a huge fan necessarily of the way how the vaccine distribution is going. I do it differently. Um, but it, it, unfortunately, it is what it is right now. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I have higher hopes for the incoming uh, presidential administration. I know that he is trying to communicate uh, as president-elect that uh, he's going to prioritize vaccination. I believe that in the first 100 days, he wants 100 million people vaccinated. That's almost a third of the country. So that that would be great. We need a better delivery system. But if we can get better communication, more transparent, more open communication coming from the top, I think it. I think it's going to help. Skepticism, unfortunately, is something that's always been around. And skepticism it can be healthy. It, it, it is healthy. I enjoy myself being a skeptic of things. But when you talk about skeptiver, skepticism, I cannot talk. Yeah. Skepticism, speech impediment. Yay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's real. Talk, it's keeping it real. <laughs> um, I think when you talk about skeptiver, skepticism versus, you know, false, uh, false information, it's, it's a little different. It's healthy to be a skeptic. It's healthy to question things. Scientists question things all the time. That's how we learn more science. Something is right in science until it's proven wrong. And then that becomes right until that's proven wrong and so on and so forth. However, if someone is spreading false information and you say it a thousand times, it becomes true type of thing. That, that's a problem. Um, and I think that might start with like K through 12 education. Once again, I think we need a reevaluation of how we teach science, critical thinking, skepticism in America. If we keep telling our children, oh, okay, we're going to learn about climate change today but I'm supposed to tell you that this isn't necessarily 100% proven and there's disagreement within the scientific community. There's really not. There's hardly anyone that disagrees with it. Uh, same thing with evolution or any other science. There's always so many add-ons that people want to put because 
it doesn't necessarily fit with what they have been told or what they think through misinformation. And so it's teaching the next generation not to be a healthy skeptic and not to critically think, but to just think that everything that a scientist is telling them is false. And I think that's doing a huge disservice to, to our, our, our country as a whole, intellectually speaking. Yeah. And I I like that you said that too. And it's also like, if you look at my education, you know, I talk about a lot lot with my husband is that, you know, California education is different from East coast education or for wherever you're born, you know, like there's a lot of things I didn't learn in school. And I thought I went to a very great high school, but then you later find out like that wasn't even those history books weren't even accurate. They left out like a big part of history or they didn't state actual facts that happened. They Mm -hmm. painted it as this beautiful picture and none of it was beautiful, you know? So it's, really interesting, like having these false beliefs based upon other people's writings or ideas of history. Mm. And I'm interested to see how people are going to write this history. And I hope, yes, I I hope that people write it correctly so that we can learn from our mistakes because there are so many mistakes to be learned from within this pandemic and how we're rolling out, you know, the various mass, you know, public policies and health policies to ensure that everyone's going to be okay going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, can you kind of give me like a closing like statement about the overall compass compass of ethics in this in this in the in this industry and you know addressing the pandemic? I mean that's that's again a big question. I know it's a huge question, and this is an ethics podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah, ethics podcast. <laughs> I mean, you're doing a whole a whole podcast series on ethics. <laughs> so I know when it's it, hard. It, it is hard. It, it's yeah. hard to try to boil it down to a quick elevator speech. Yeah, I think what is important is understanding that when it comes to public health. Like I've said earlier, it is about public. It's not just about you. You're, you as an individual are very important to society and vice versa. You need to understand that how you fit into society is incredibly important. You could be the person that stops a hundred other people from getting sick. Yeah. Or you can be the person that gets a hundred other people sick based on your actions and it all comes down to believing the science, trusting the science, not just believing because science doesn't need to be believed. It's there whether you believe it is or not, but you need to trust the science. And I know that's just really hard right now for some people, but that's what it comes down to. We're not trying to trick people. We're not trying to take away your individuality. We're not trying to take away who you are as a person. We're trying to keep you safe. One of the issues right now is, of course, that you know the science keeps changing. Yeah. At the very beginning, it was, well, we're not sure if masks work. There's now been overwhelming evidence to show masks work. But there are still some people saying, well, why did you change your mind? Because that's how science works. It keeps updating to have the most current information. And in this pandemic, people are seeing science happen in real time. And real time 
is, is different than coming out with solid guidelines because the science is something's usually done behind the scenes yes. and you come out with solid guidelines. You're like, this is what you need to do. Okay, great. I'm going to do that. Oh, wait, we've had to change it because we've just found something out because we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah. And I know the term unprecedented has been way overused in the past year, but for our generation, this is an unprecedented event. Yeah. And I like that you brought that point. Like science is ongoing mm -hmm. and research is ongoing. And you, like you said, it's usually behind the scenes and we are seeing science at face value. This is what science looks at. It's disputing, having new findings, just new discoveries and disputing those findings to make sure, you know, the data and everything is accurate so that it becomes knowledge, not just facts. Stephanie, tell the listeners where they can find you. You know, you are, have been in this field for over a decade, um, you know, global epidemiology, but also public health within like state and local hospitals. So tell the listeners where they can find more information about some of the things you speak upon. Yeah, so uh, for me personally, uh, I have a uh, epidemiology and public health podcast called The Pump Handle Podcast. You can find us on Facebook or thepumphandlepodcast.com. Uh, episodes have been a little wonky uh, the past <laughs> several months because, you know, pandemic and uh, working and med school and bazillion things going on. But the uh, Facebook page that I keep updated for the pump handle does try to have current information. I try to break it down so that it makes sense. Like I read the entire 55 page documents from the FDA on both the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine. And I tried to break it down so that oh, you that's could understand phenomenal. without, that's phenomenal. you know, having to read it yourself. So you're welcome. Um, but yeah, so those are the two places to find me, your friendly neighborhood epidemiologist. There's so many underlying factors that go into a pandemic and improving the health and welfare of the public. Our history in America is enriched with medical malfeasance, governmental overreach, and the use of racist and imperial power, which continue to haunt us and affect our well-being and health. It's up to the medical and public health systems and us as a society to choose to do better and live by the golden rule. Using this as a tool for health promotion, societal and policy changes, and reestablishing trust within these communities and the public. If we are not able to trust you, how do you expect us as a society to believe you and follow the rules you put in place? As Stephanie indicated, the shaming and policing of our neighbors is not the solution either. This form of bullying and hostile approach only incites people's resistance to these public health policies. We need to understand one another in order to set the tone of engaging in behaviors that benefits us all and ensures everyone's health and safety. And lastly, stay out of each other's business. Thank you for listening, y'all. And please tune in next Friday for our upcoming table read. If you like what you're hearing and would like to continue rolling out ethical dilemmas with us, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. We're working on our website, so pretty soon you'll be able to leave a message and send us information regarding episodes you might or topics you might want to talk about. We'd love to hear from you. And once again, that's a wrap. Y'all want a hot girl or not? They trying to catch Corona for the what? They got the right ones. We not no sick thoughts. We can tease them all day, but let's give them what they want. Bottom of your face. We about to shout out to them. Bottom of your face. What's up with the bottom?